kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? To Auntie Nanny, please tell me you can actually hear me. Um, uh, with us this evening is Alex Clark at the top of the hour with the CASA update. Good evening, Alex. How are you this evening? Good. How are you doing? I'm really good. So, what is new and exciting? <laughs> well, um, <clears throat> I think I got. Uh my timeline right here as I'm just looking over things. Okay. Um, I believe it was after we spoke last week, uh, mm -hmm. put out a uh, local alert for Columbus, Ohio. Um, they are looking at an ordinance that would raise the purchase age to 21. Right. Um, I, I have not actually seen a copy of the proposed ordinance. It's not easily available on their site and this is something that's just going to a public hearing um no vote is expected to occur and in fact it's probably not on the agenda for tomorrow's meeting so okay. um this is something just to keep an eye out for and apparently people have already been writing into uh county i'm sorry uh, city council members okay uh, so uh they're they're getting feedback from from residents already, which is good. Um, good. And already an early indication from one city councilor who does not support this measure. Um, but uh, yeah, if you live in uh, Columbus, Ohio, by all means, please send an email and uh, be on the lookout for updates for that. Uh, I'm sure that will be coming to a public hearing soon. Okay. Um, the other thing that I saw this afternoon, which we, we haven't put together anything for it yet i'm actually waiting to hear back from uh the folks in georgia okay um it looks like forsyth county georgia is uh going to do a few things to uh vaping uh one is a uh a licensing uh requirement and right. it will cost about two thousand dollars a year to have this license oh, wow. um i didn't look at the nitty-gritty of the details uh, for getting or keeping this license, but uh, there's a lot and they could be a bit burdensome. Um, okay. So uh, from a 
from a business standpoint, the licensing thing is absolutely something that, that businesses in Forsyth County should be paying attention to. Sure. Um, as far as uh, our concerns, uh, they will be looking to expand their indoor vaping prohibition to public places and uh, vape shops as well. Wow. Um, right now, Forsyth County has uh, a ban on vaping in county-owned uh, buildings and parking lots, and I'm sure vehicles are in there too, um, which you know historically we don't really engage on uh, because it's much like a business setting their own vaping policy. Sure. Sorry, I had to take a sip of water there. Um, no worries. <laughs> so those are the uh, local alerts I have. Other than uh, Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, is just sort of an ongoing thing. Um, sure. And uh, so if you live in Pittsburgh or the surrounding Allegheny County, um, please check out our engagement, our call to action on that. Okay. Uh, it, would be, it would be great to have a bunch more people show up at the next hearing. Sure. Um, so that's the local stuff. Um, okay. Nothing doing at the state level just yet other than uh, it sounds like in uh, maybe the first or second week of December uh, in California, the Board of Equalization will be getting together to look at the uh, language of the how the tax will be applied to vapor products. Okay. Um, to keep it just brief, I don't really have many more details than that, and it's not really an opportunity for the public to engage. Um, but uh, just to kind of provide an update there as to, you know, how far along they're getting in, in the process. Yeah. Um, other than that, um, <clears throat> I guess the big news from last week, I'm pretty sure this was last week. Okay. <clears throat> was that uh, we are no longer, I keep saying likely, but it seems pretty definite at this point. We're no longer likely to see an omnibus budget bill this yeah. year. Uh, what we're looking at is a continuing resolution mm -hmm. that will fund the government for the next three or four months. Right. Uh, it is possible that we'll look at an actual omnibus budget bill uh, in uh, February or March. Okay. So for the rest of the year, uh, the strategy is is changing a bit, uh, but mainly uh, just kind of the specifics of it. So we're no longer talking. We've, we've pretty much stopped talking about HR twenty fifty eight being okay. this viable uh, vehicle for predicate tape change, um, and we're also sort of <clears throat> uh, dropping similar. Similarly, we're dropping the push for Cole Bishop. Okay. Um, so it's it's an amendment to a, a, a budget package that we're just not going to see this year. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are things that will be renegotiated uh, in 2017. Okay. However, uh, much like what we did with 2058, the Cole Bishop Amendment is still a useful thing to point lawmakers to as it contains the language. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, it, you know, ultimately, you know, our first step here is and, and has been for a while to modernize the predicate date. Sure. Um, 
but there's a little bit of a, a nuance here <laughs> in that we are now talking about a uh, a government that will be potentially more sympathetic to um, reasonable regulations on these products. So there's sort of some simultaneous, there's things happening simultaneously. And, right. you know, the, the primary push is to update, to modernize the predicate date. If we get sure. that, uh, you know, we can, the, the industry can stay in business uh-huh. and, uh, you know, it, it buys us time and it buys us some, some much needed breathing room uh-huh. um, to, to work. Uh, but there, what, what's being discussed are uh, the possibility of, of having legislation that actually um, changes the Tobacco Control Act to Whoa. potentially carve out uh, vapor products. And, you know, what we would like to see is, is a carve out for, for all low risk products. Um, well, I am <laughs> with, uh, with Mike Pence's VP. <laughs> You, you might get that. Uh, well, I, it's my hope that, that uh, you know, much like the, I, I just hope that he remains largely irrelevant. <laughs> that's my, that's my uh, hope. <laughs> well, I, I don't yeah. see him actually being uh, uh, much support or uh, in I, our I favor think, one way or another. See, I don't think that he would do that. I think he would push to overthrow the Tobacco Control Act altogether. That seems like his style. Yeah, and that's, you know, there's also some danger involved in that. Uh, if we were to, uh, for example, get the deeming regulations completely thrown out, um, okay. there's a potential of, uh, you know, first of all, I think everybody should be somewhat aware of uh, there being some sort of democratic Democrat backlash in two years. Um, okay that that's I, I, if, if they are not gearing up for uh, changing the, the landscape in, in Congress now, then I, I don't really know what they're doing with their time. Um, but uh, so, you know, there is there is the potential that that in two years, uh, the, the majority the Republican majority in, in, in both the House and the Senate uh, goes away. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I personally believe that this shouldn't be this isn't a partisan issue that uh, you know, Democrats should be just as, if not more concerned about this issue in, in terms of putting together reasonable regulation. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, actually I saw uh, some statistics a few days ago. It, I think uh, Democrats are, uh, uh, have higher, slightly higher smoking rates than Republicans. Uh, oh. I figured it's like a four or five point difference, but, uh, but still, you know, it's, uh, it's worth noting. Sure. So, so, um, so yeah, it, the effort to completely throw things out is, uh -huh. uh, is it, it does present some challenges potentially down the line if we do end up with um, a different Congress and, and, and a different president in four sure. years. Um, so, you know, our efforts are to, um, you know, work to work with other parties to introduce uh, legislation that that uh, isn't going to be completely radical and, uh, you know, something that, that will be, um, it'll be reasonable to, to implement and, and, and we want, we want sustaining um, regulations that, that 
you know, that aren't destroying the industry and aren't taking away our access to these products. Sure. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the news on the, at the federal level. And, okay. um, and yeah, I, I, December, uh, I believe there's a handful of states that have pre-filing. So, uh, over the next, uh, three or four weeks, mm-hmm. we should see, um, what states are going to get um get aggressive with the vaping yeah um and uh and yeah that's that's that yeah um can't can't really say much more about that i i'm assuming they're going to try to get aggressive with taxation because everybody seems to have a massive hole in their budgets yeah taxes taxes are are as I feel like a broken record every year, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, taxes are, are going to be a popular target, uh-huh. and um, and you know, there's there's all the other categories that uh, that states can can regulate on, and of course, you know, um, <clears throat> New Jersey has a Tobacco Twenty One bill mm-hmm. currently moving through the legislature. Right. Um, Illinois tried to get Tobacco 21 passed this year. It didn't, I think it kind of made it out of the Senate committee. I don't know if it made it to the Senate floor. Right. Um, and so, you know, this is, this is a movement that started at the local level, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, Columbus, Ohio. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, part of our efforts going into next year is to be able to present a, uh, uh, a visible uh, uh, resistance to this this policy, okay. um, at, at least you know in terms of, of uh, how it's being applied to low risk products. Sure. Um, so uh, so yeah, there's there's plenty of other areas, and then of course you know the, the other worst case with if we were to be working towards something as extreme as throwing out the the deeming regulations rather than uh, you know trying to amend them to something workable right. um, is that states will seek to you know get their own regulations over the industry much yeah. like Indiana or Utah uh, Georgia even tried it last year so um, yeah. it's uh, it's yeah it, it's, it's a nice it's a it's a nice thought that <laughs> you know might be able to undo some of the worst of this yeah. but uh, just you know, it's the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So there's there's yeah. consequences. Yeah, uh, every step we take seems to be fraught with them lately. Um, so I guess we just do the best we can, and uh, we know you'll be doing the best you can for us. Yep, there's a there's a kind of the outline of a plan going forward, um, and you know the details are limited to uh, you know. We want to make this. Casaw, along with you know industry people, have, have you know constant, have consistently been saying reasonable regulations. That's yes. that's the theme, and you know the the framework for that is is somehow it, it's out there. It's in the mm-hmm. deeming regulations. It's in the Tobacco Control Act. There are things that we can work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a matter of, of getting people to. I think uh, think a, a bit more critically about this, and, and um, you know, help fill in 
fill in the outline here. But sure. uh, so yeah, and as far as you know, our, our membership and anybody else who's, who's just now getting engaged on this issue, um, I could imagine it might be a little bit frustrating to hear people <laughs> saying like, well, you know, uh, we, we kind of know what, what we're looking forward to, but uh, you know, we're waiting a little bit. Um, we just, we, we, we're as in the dark about this as everybody. We're as in the dark as the markets are. We, we, we know nothing essentially now. We won't really know anything till we start seeing whether someone actually intends to drain the swamp or fill it full of swamp things. <laughs> um. Yeah, and you know, we, we get a lot of our intelligence from people a lot of our intelligence from people who are essentially standing right next to this issue. Uh, mm -hmm. and even even those people who, you know, are at, at arm's length um are, you know, can reach out and touch the people that need to be uh talked to. Mm -hmm. Um they they are also waiting for more information and, and waiting for things to kind of shake out. Um, you know, and of course the rest of America is waiting to find out just what, you know, what a Trump administration looks like. So, um, these are, these are, this, these are uncertain times. Well, kind you know, of. we, we live in, we live in interesting times. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason the Chinese called that a curse. <laughs> huh. Um, so yeah. Um, everything's up in the air, um, which, you know what? For, for once, I'm actually excited about not having this dreaded feeling. I have a little bit of hope, which is more than I had a few months ago, which that doesn't sound great, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, and it's good. It's good for us because, you know, we're not completely bogged down in, uh, a, you know, a massive uh, federal fight or, you know, one massive state battle. Uh, we... I, I think this is you know, December and beginning of January. It gives us some much needed time to look at uh, some of the other things that we as an organization would like to develop. Um, so, you know, and I'm, I'm putting together our newsletter for, to come out hopefully tomorrow. Um, you know, but we're, uh, we're, we're looking at expanding our, our, our chapters program. I mean, actually just adding one more would technically be expanding, but um, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're looking at, <clears throat> making this, uh, you know, reaching a little, little, a lot further and wider, and, and we would like to, to be able to get consumers rallied behind, uh, you know, a singular message and, and, and more effectively advocate at the local level. Um, and I know that I know that members have been kind of clamoring for this for years. Right. Um, so you know, now we we actually may have some time. You know, we now we've got the breathing room to, to kind of daydream about this a little bit and, and figure out how it's going to work yeah um so yeah it, it's yeah. just uncertain it's not bad it's just it, it's uncertain that's not a bad thing yeah i mean the the upside of uncertainty is it means that the you know the plane isn't on fire that's crashing. true so, you know. that's true there's there's no snakes on the plane anymore that we know yeah. so it's a good thing yeah. yeah okay um Thank you so much for coming on tonight, Alex. Uh, yeah. I, and um, we'll, do you want to do it again like this next week? Will that work better for you? Uh, yeah, the time works. If, if the time works for you, I'm, I'm up for early. Okay. Okay, we will uh, we will start a little early next week too, you guys. The CASA update will be the very first thing you hear. Awesome. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, Alex. 
Yep. Have thanks. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Have a thanks. great night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Okay. Um, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Auntie Nanny. <laughs> With me tonight is the fabulous and amazing Miss Jeannie Kay and the very best producer that money can't buy. And I'm still not paying him after four years. Very. How are you two this evening? Well, I'm good. My computer works. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. The computer works. Discord works. Everything yes. works flawlessly this evening. It, it's amazing. Shh, um, don't say that. Don't say that. And, and I have to apologize for last week again. My uh, producing skills for this show are fucking abysmal. Well, at least yeah. you got it out. That's the main thing. Besides, it was like, it was three hours of talking about the election. Not that we won't do that again tonight. Um, hopefully it won't be three hours worth, but um, uh, yeah. So, DAPL, Jeannie, go. What? What? You want me to talk about the fact that these motherfuckers just unloaded on these people? Is that what you want me to talk about? You want me to talk oh, about oh, the oh. fact that they were using rubber bullets and... and stun grenades and water cannons on these people for trying to clear a path so that emergency services could get to the camp and no uh, freaking body is talking about it in 20 degree weather don't forget that and so you know where where are all these people that care about minorities let me tell you what you motherfuckers fail that's what you do you fail because why is this not a big freaking deal because a cop didn't didn't shoot somebody um hello pay the fuck attention i am i am so disgusted with people right now jan it's just not even funny stop with the fucking election people and start giving a shit about your fellow humans okay just to point Agreed. out uh, they're covering it over here well because uh, we're always horrified when police start getting uh, overly aggressive with uh, groups, especially water cannons. We've got a thing about, you're, you're not allowed to use them in the UK, even the police. Yeah, and yet they have them. But um, yeah. here's the thing. I think it's not a popular topic right now because, generally speaking, Native Americans have always had a different sort of understanding about property rights. They don't think the earth can be owned, right? So you, you can't have a discussion wrapped around the way most people think about property, unfortunately. Um, so you want to see socialism work, you go and you walk onto a reservation. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Um it's not a narrative that's easy to cover. And the, the only places you're going to see covering DAPL are like Democracy Now! and Trutzik. And they are very, very left-leaning organizations, right? Um, most news, um, for better or worse, um, tends to lean to the right, even if it's a Democratic news source, which is just fucked up as hell but that's the way it is I don't think you're going to get any good coverage it's not going to be on the CBS news NBC isn't going to cover it you are going to see it 
on the news in the UK. You will see it in the fringe news sources here. But, um, you know, we're going to have a problem with it being all fringe news sources because all of a sudden everybody's blaming um, Hillary's loss on the fact that Facebook allowed fake news. Well, I don't know about you, but I've verified all the stuff I read that was WikiLeaks cables um, as much as I possibly could. Um, I believe Glenn Greenwald is a great reporter. I believe the things that he said. I fact-checked them for myself before I shared any of it. But now all of these news sources are going to be considered fringe and fake news, and that's a problem. That's going to greatly diminish the amount of truth that people are exposed to. Anybody else got anything? Here's the thing. I'm... And I'm over here going, okay, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. Because I'm, I, I am flipping out over this. But here's the thing. And this is, this is what people should pay attention to. Are Native Americans considered American citizens, Jan? Yes. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Under the letter of the law, they are considered American citizens. Um, they're a sovereign nation, per se. Our government is not only allowing, but they are assisting in what we would consider in the military advanced torture techniques Mm -hmm. on large groups of people on American soil. Okay. Do you agree with that? Yeah, but are you surprised? No, I am not surprised. That's all all I have to say. But, but here they sit, and everybody's glossing it over. And, you know, I, I was reading comments on a post, and, and this woman made this stupid, ignorant fucking comment about how the Indians are overprivileged, lazy pieces of shit sitting around with their hand out. You know what? Fuck you, lady. Fuck you. You know, here, here's the thing. Um, ever been to a reservation? I mean, yes, ma'am. They're, they're not, not. They're not great hubs of society. There is not a lot of manufacturing. There aren't a whole lot of jobs, right? So you're left with what you know. Basically, you're hoping if you're smart enough and talented enough and can get away to school for some kind of trade or college that you can get out. And that's the younger generation. But the older generation are, are stuck kind of beating things and, and making pottery and crafts um, because that's all they can do. There is no industry. There is nothing there. So how do you propose people who have nothing get a job if there are no jobs to be had except for at the casinos if you're lucky enough to have one you know and that money that the casinos make it it doesn't go as far as you'd think although you're told it does um a businessman is a businessman and it doesn't matter what color he is um things are just very different there it's a very different way of life and 
let me put it to you this way. Um, anything they do to people who are poorer and browner than you will eventually be turned on you. I mean, that, that, that is just the truth of it. There, last year, more Native Americans were shot and killed by police. Do you hear about that? I, I don't hear about that. Then, you know, people of most any other ethnic makeup. And you don't hear about that. You don't hear about that because these people were stuck in areas that are meant to be forgotten. Because people don't like looking at something that reminds them of a shameful time. Now, uh, the reservation system is essentially the ghettoization. What's happened to them is what happened to minorities everywhere. And yet, when I look at the makeup of America, I think we're all on the reservation, right? Does that make any sense to you? At all? At all? Yeah, it does make sense to me, um, what you're saying. Um, what's being done makes no sense to me. It it makes it makes me freaking ill. Where the fuck is is Al Sharpton? You know, I mean, if if this man wants to stand there and say he is against oppressed peoples, then where the fuck are you, dude? Seriously, where are you? You're you're nowhere to be found. Um you're you're a self-serving piece of shit. Um I I I, I okay, yeah, there's my opinion on him. <laughs> <laughs> I could say a whole lot more. Um, but you definitely would get an explicit warning. Um, I just, this, this entire thing, I am so furious mm -hmm. over this. And it is because these people wanted to assure that the water stayed drinkable, drinkable and that the, the water stayed unpolluted. I mean, you've got New York State requiring farmers to fence off streams so that the cows can't get in it because the cows, the cow shit is just going to foul the water. Um, animals have been, never mind. But anyway. Uh. Okay. Uh, the answer to where Sharpton is, counting the money in his wallet. Huh. Yeah, well, he ought to be in fucking jail. Okay. <laughs> there, there's a lot of people who should be in jail. Uh, Al Sharpton is one of them. Hillary Clinton's another one. Um, hell, <clears throat> if you really want to look at things, uh, our president-elect should probably be in jail for fraud. So, you know, crooks, crooks everywhere. Um, and yet, everybody seems to expect that level of greed and incompetence and self-serving bullshit from their politicians and people who are supposed to speak for their people. And that's bullshit. You can find a better person to rally behind working at your local fucking bodega. That's the truth of it. You know, I think. True. True. Not true? Who knows? Okay. Um, Miss Jeannie, Jeannie, pick a story. Let's, let's just get my aneurysm over with. 
Okay, so you want to talk about the girl? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We should we should just go there and get it get it over with. <laughs> okay. Girl suspended for using child size butter knife to cut peach at school. If you want to drop the link into chat so that people can see the exact sort of cutlery she was using, Miss Jeannie, that would be great. Pembroke Pines, Florida. A South Florida couple is outraged after they said their daughter was suspended from her middle school for using a butter knife at lunchtime to cut a peach. There's no one there trying to educate and to be reasonable and to say, let's work this out, the girl's father, Ronald Suto, said. Suto's daughter is an honor roll student at Silver Trail Middle School in Pembroke Pines. She's always trying to help someone. She's always trying to share things, Suto said about his daughter. Ronald and Andrea Suto told local 10 News reporter Michael Seiden that their 11-year-old daughter was suspended for six days for bringing the knife to school. This is a set of a spoon, fork, and knife for toddlers, one-year-old, Andrea Sudo said. It's made for children to learn how to eat properly. She's used it since she was a baby. According to the school district, the girl violated the county's weapons policy when she used her butter knife in the cafeteria to cut the peach. A friend asks for half of the peach, and she cuts half of the peach and gives it to her friend. She goes to the bathroom and comes back, and the guy said, follow me, Ronald Suto said. Ronald said he hopes what happened to his daughter will bring change to the district, specifically new policies when it comes to weapons. He's not alone. I think the principal should revisit this, and everyone should sit down to the table and say, let's just say, don't do it again. This is outrageous to go to that extreme, Melvin J. Smith said Melvin J. Smith, whose grandson attends the school. The Sutos said they were shocked about their suspension and are now concerned that their daughter's act of kindness could lead to criminal charges. She's afraid now of the educators. She's afraid of the people at school. They need to change the system, Ronald Suto said. A Broward County School District spokeswoman declined to offer specifics about the incident because of student privacy, but said the school followed district policy regarding this incident and continues to work with the student and parents involved. It is the district's priority to maintain safe and secure campuses for students and staff at all times. The Pembroke Pines Police Department said it has turned over their investigation to the state's attorney's office. It is unclear whether prosecutors will file charges, but the family's attorney said the school board isn't doing its job in this case. The school board has abused its discretion to act in this case, Larry Melzer said. It's tragic that a school this little girl loves sees fit to prosecute and suspend her the epitome of a model and honor roll student for using a childproof utensil that could never be construed in any form as a weapon in order to share part of her lunch with a fellow classmate. The item at all times was used in the school lunchroom as it should be to cut a peach and share lunch with a friend. He added, she should be applauded for her generosity and kindness and for her motivation to be a great student in all sense of the word. The only harm that has been exacted in this case is by Silver Trails Middle School and the Broward County School Board upon one of its finest students and upon one who exemplifies the type of person and student it wishes to help create. It is truly senseless and does reflect poorly upon the type of educators and law enforcement involved in this case. Okay, Jeannie, get it out. She could have done more damage with a fucking fork. This this zero tolerance bullshit is so freaking bad. I mean, <laughs> under under this nonsense, okay, mm -hmm. I have suffered from my migraines since I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. Nine. 
my migraine medicine, as soon as I start seeing the gold flecks floating through the air, right. needed to be placed under my tongue. Mm -hmm. Immediately. Right. I couldn't have carried that in school. Yep. I couldn't carry that because, you know, zero tolerance. God forbid you have Tylenol, you know, zero tolerance. Of course, Tylenol is one of the worst drugs on the market, but that's besides the point. Right. It, it, it is absolute utter ignorance and stupidity that they're, they're, they're playing this shit. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> what is wrong with people that they think that this is okay? I mean, we got a blind woman that, that can't get her kids bus to school. We got a little girl with a toddler knife, which, which, by the way, folks, isn't as sharp as the plastic knife that you would get at a fucking picnic. <laughs> we got, I mean, how about the toddler in Detroit, Jan? I mean, kids, <laughs> there's a little boy in Detroit that died because his mother was mentally ill. Extremely mentally ill. But it's not illegal to be crazy. Okay? You can't you can't do anything about somebody being crazy enough that a, a small child dies and the two social workers are being charged with manslaughter over it because, you know, somebody turned this in to, to children and youth and the social workers didn't fucking do their jobs. So we got we got a mentally ill mother, we got two social workers that, that can't do their fucking job and a dead little kid and kids that we can't get to school because their mother's blind and you know we wouldn't want to show preferential treatment by by busing these kids to school which is fucking ignorant we got a little girl who's an honor roll student who's being expelled from school for having a toddler's butter knife over a zero tolerance law this fuck people are crazy <laughs> what is wrong what is wrong with people it's it's the adults that are all fucked up and and just ignorant and it just goes on and on and on and on and on and we got all these generations <laughs> underneath of us that think that this is how the United States is supposed to be this is how it's supposed to be this is a better world <laughs> fuck that um well did i tell you about the lady i work with um her daughter goes to FSU. Okay. So after the election, um, the professors were buying pizza for the students and letting them throw themselves down and have a temper tantrum and screaming fit and in crying time they had screaming hour, they had therapy dogs at the school for the kids because they couldn't handle the outcome of the fucking election. Um the way children are raised today with helicopter parenting and not allowing them to be kids is turning them into a generation of very helpless people. That's not a good thing. And policies like zero tolerance for little boys biting pop tarts into the shape of a gun or a child who says he has the one true ring um, remember that one from last year? <laughs> the, the, yeah, the kid. I do. Unfortunately, I, I do. I, I remember <laughs> that. Yeah. This is how it is now. 
Um, and I think the generation of parents raising these children has taken common sense and just thrown it out the fucking window. Not only thrown it out the window, but lit it on fire and watched it burn. Um, I don't know if there's any getting that back. And I shudder to think what the children these children raise will be like. Well, yeah, I, I, I always think it's only a matter of time in schools like this uh, where it'll be mandatory for all the kids to be wearing helmets at all times. They're going to have to wear mitts because you could poke somebody in the eye with a finger uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. that. That's the levels they seem to be wanting to reach for. Uh, yeah. and it's just crazy. If kids want to hurt each other, they will hurt each other. There's mm -hmm. nothing you can, there's no regulations you can come up with to stop it. Yep. Unless you want to have each kid in a little tiny cubicle that they're not allowed to leave. They're like dropped in there, receive class through speakers on screen, whatever. Yeah. My, but, my sister would have been kicked out of school for eternity. Um, this, this girl kept jacking with my sister. Um, and, you know, Annie kept telling her to stop. Now, mind you, my, my little sister, um, is little Miss Peace, Love and Happiness. Um, she's the one I made a bumper sticker for that said, Crystal digging, bird watching, tree hugging, hippie biker chick, because it was the only fucking thing that would explain her. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was the one, and of course, anybody that knows me knows, um, when, when you're pissing me off, you, you know it. Long before I peel your face off, you know you're pissing me off. Sure, sure. Um, Annie's not that way. Um, she's little Miss Peace, Love, and Happiness until somebody does that last spark that lights the fuse and it's over with. Um, mm -hmm. And so this girl kept going over every day and lunch and reaching over and taking stuff off my sister's tray. And she kept saying, you need, you need to stop doing that. You, you, please, you need to stop doing that. And And this went on for, you know, quite a while um, weeks and weeks and weeks and one day Annie said she says you need to not do that I'm 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 done <laughs> and the girl reached over to pick something up off my sister's plate and my sister buried a fork in her arm <laughs> now had that happened today there'd be expulsions and lawyers and and whatever and whatever you know and uh the 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 cafeteria supervisors said to the girl, you need to go to the nurse and get that all cleaned out. I guess you learned your lesson. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I sympathize because, yeah, I have driven a pencil into somebody's kneecap at school because they were poking me in the back with a sharp pencil and I warned them many times to stop doing this. They didn't listen. So then I put my pencil into his knee because <laughs> he was sitting directly behind me. I didn't even get sent to the office. <laughs> well, see, I bet he learned, though. Not you really, know? no. About <laughs> six months later, I dislocated his thumb when he tried to punch me. Ah, well. Some people are just slow learners. <laughs> I didn't have any trouble with them after that, but yeah. <laughs> Some people require the lesson to be repeated twice. Well, um, but the, the problem is, you know, I mean, that bully, he, he probably learned that some people were going to fight back. And and now everybody is so freaking coddled and you know and not everybody, 
but the vast majority are freaking coddled. And it's not about everybody getting a trophy. Um, it's, it's not about that to me. But what it is about is the fact that we are raising them all to think that anything, any kind of participation is acceptable participation. You know, um, we had a daughter that, that joined the soccer team and she walked back and forth on the field and we're like, look, we are not coming out to all these games to watch you stand out there like a slug. Right. Um, because, you know, it's, it's soccer. This is a physical sport. You're supposed to run. You're supposed to sweat. You're, you're supposed to do something. Right. Um, everybody is just, well, if he's bullying, it's, it's a cry for help for something. No, he's because he's being a little asshole. <laughs> you know, you teach these people that this is unacceptable behavior, that there are consequences for their actions, and you you don't kick a little kid out of school for using a toddler knife to cut a fucking peach, for God's sake. So, see, I'm unclear what that lesson was supposed to teach. Um, you have to go to the camp at the lunch lady and ask her to cut the peach? I mean, is that how dependent we want our middle school students? You know what I mean? It still doesn't, it just doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Not that it ever did. But I see more and more of these things. Um, and if you're a parent, I highly recommend the blog, Free Range Kids. Um, where, you know, the, the woman who writes it is known as the worst mother in America. But, um, she really does know how children should be raised to be independent little people, which in the end is what they are. They're little people. And wrapping them in cotton wool is leading to all sorts of interesting outcomes. Well, well and the, here's this, okay? I mean, I grew up in the country. Jan, you grew up in the country. How many people did you know, Jan, that in the, in the summer earned money throwing hay bales? Oh, shit. Tons of people. How many people did you know, Jan, that earned extra money by splitting firewood for people? Yeah, a lot. Oh, my God, the horrors. You mean to tell me that you let that teenager swing a real axe? God forbid oh, no. you might even let them use a chainsaw? Oh, well, those, those, those hay bales are so heavy. That's that's just a... Be Shut the fuck up, people. Shoveling Shut snow... Um, yeah, all kinds of manual fucking labor. Good for a kid's soul. And here, where I live now, kids still uh -huh. do that stuff. Yeah. You better film it for posterity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I sometimes just wonder why. How we got to this point, exactly. I understand wanting to protect children. There are real dangers out there for them, but, uh, you know, maybe we could focus on, I don't know, locking up the pedophiles. Maybe that would be a good place to go um, before we focus on, you know, uh, suspending children for using their imagination or using a toddler's butter knife in school to cut food the purpose which it was fucking intended for. 
Well, I mean, w w one thing I can't wait for is seeing about 20 years' time. How exactly are they going to have soldiers in the military? Because so, none of these kids are, you know... Can I raise my hand here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now I have a friend who went into the Marines, smart guy, and talked about when he was coming out, there were kids going into the Marines. And uh, he's my age. So when he was getting out after, um, or what was it? Operation Iraqi Freedom. So he was getting out about then. And he was really young at the time. That kids were coming in that were qualifying to be Marines. And, you know, live rifle fire would make these people just fall down and cry. That's not great for the military. At all. That's not a good thing. That's just one story I've heard. So that's about 20 years ago. What's it like now? Yeah. And what's it going to be like, uh, as I say, in 20 years? Uh, I think this is why, like, Alphabet is working so hard on robotic machines. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it really hard. You know, the, 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 the robotic donkey they had. Um, the robotic guy that can lift stuff. I think we're going to robotic soldiers just because human beings are going to be completely unfit to do that work. Um, and I kind of, I see working in a shop, um, what sort of work ethic we get coming in from the young people. And uh, they're not moving fast, right? There's no sense of urgency. They don't give a shit that stuff has to be done. You know, oh well. My time's up. I'm gonna leave. Um, See, we're we're fine in the UK, right? So mm -hmm. our general populace—it's not so bad over here. It's not as extreme over here as yet, anyway. But, but yeah, if it does get that bad, it's okay. We we will our army will just, they'll just have to pass a law where if there's a war, they just conscript all the Neds and chavs <laughs> and just throw them at the enemy. <laughs> the chevs are enough to scare the shit out of me, so yeah. Oh yeah, so I mean, some of the some of the some of the gangs we've got over here are yeah, interesting, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> yes, interesting is right. Well, you know, I mean. Well, it's it's proof that you don't need weapons to be incredibly violent. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Hey, very pick a story. Well, we, we have to go with that charter just to get it out of the way. Okay, so 2016, that's a lot like 1984. So just give me a second to get down there to it. Britain has passed the most extreme surveillance law ever passed in a democracy. The law forces UK internet providers to store browsing histories, including domains visited, for one year in case of police investigations. It's 2016 going on 1984. The UK has just passed a massive expansion in surveillance powers, which critics have called terrifying and dangerous. 
the new law, dubbed the Snoopers Charter, was introduced by then-Home Secretary Theresa May in 2012 and took two attempts to get passed into law following breakdowns in the previous coalition government. Four years and a general election later, May is now Prime Minister. How the fuck did that happen? The bill was finalized and passed on Wednesday by both parliamentary houses. But civil liberties groups have long criticized the bill, with some arguing that the law will let the UK government document everything we do online. It's no wonder, because it basically does. The law will force internet service providers to record every internet customer's top-level web history in real time for up to a year, which can be accessed by numerous government departments, force companies to decrypt data on demand, though the government has never been clear on exactly how it forces foreign firms to do that, and even disclose any new security features and products before they launch. Not only that, the law also gives intelligence agencies the power to hack into computers and devices of citizens, known as equipment interference, although some protected professions, such as journalists and medical staff, are layered with marginally better protections. In other words, it's the most extreme surveillance law ever passed in a democracy, according to Jim Killock, uh, director of Open Rights Group. The bill was opposed by representation of the United Nations, all major UK and many leading global privacy rights and rights groups, and a host of Silicon Valley tech companies alike. Even the parliamentary committee tasked with scrutinizing the bill called some of its provisions quote unquote vague. And that doesn't even account for the three quarters of people who think privacy, which this law almost entirely erodes, is a human right. There are some safeguards, however, such as a double lock system so that the Secretary of State and an independent judicial commissioner must agree on a decision to carry out search warrants, though one member of the House of Lords disputed that claim. A new investigatory powers commissioner will also oversee the use of the new powers. Despite the uproar, the government's opposition failed to scrutinize any significant amendments and abstained from the final vote, Kellogg said recently that the opposition Labour Party spent its time simply failing to hold the government to account. But the government has downplayed much of the controversy surrounding the bill. The government has consistently argued that the bill isn't drastically new, but instead reworks the old and outdated regulation of the Investigatory Powers Act ripoff. up This was brought into law in 2000 to legitimize new powers that were conducted or ruled on in secret, like collecting data in bulk and hacking into networks, which was revealed during the Edward Snowden affair. Much of these activities were only possible thanks to litigation by one advocacy group, Privacy International, which helped push these secret practices into the public domain while forcing the governments to scramble to explain why these practices were legal. The law will be ratified by royal assent in the coming weeks. Okay, very. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... I might get a bigger audience when I'm streaming gaming videos because, you know, there'll be spies watching. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, it's it's horrific. Um, uh, fingers crossed, although track record isn't great on this, that normal everyday people aren't going to have to worry about this. Except younger people are a bit more free with sharing copyrighted materials between each other and yeah. giving each other dodgy links to things and yeah they could get in a lot of trouble 
because now this is in, <laughs> yeah. um, people like you know the the Sony and their who are the big funders of that um, anti copyright uh, right. so lot well will probably yeah. start trying to appeal to the British government to just automatically tell them about all these breaches. Then loads of people end up in court, etc. It's it's this is starting that sort of ball rolling. Yeah, it's, um, but all, all these young people who think nothing of sharing everything online are in for a terrible surprise when 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 they figure out loads of the stuff they've been doing without thinking about it is actually illegal. Um, yeah. Yeah. It. All it takes is one. Right, all this data that's shared, all it takes is for a push for an investigation into copyright theft, and yeah, hundreds of people end up being nabbed. Yeah, I mean this this is some ugly shit. This is ugly. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it's almost as bad as that law they're rumored to start writing here. In the United States, I don't know if anybody else has heard about it. Um, they want to classify protesters as economic terrorists yeah. in my country. Um, and it's only a few of the hardline right-wingers who are really behind this. Nothing's been put down on paper yet. But can you even imagine that? People, what, anti-war protests will be a thing of the past when they kind of already are. Yeah, but our sense of of protest, Jan, is uh -huh. is warped into an ugly thing. Um, I don't have a problem with peaceful protest. Well, wait, I have to take that back because I kind of do. Um, I, I kind of do. So, and here is where I have a little bit of a conundrum because I'd like to say that I don't have a problem with peaceful protests, um, and they should be legal. And they should be allowed. Um, and then the Westboro Baptist Church goes and does something. Right. But if you don't defend freedom of speech for people you despise, then you're not going to get any yourself. I mean, that's kind of how this shit goes. I, I, don't, I don't think it should be okay to go and, and disrupt a funeral. I don't think it should be okay either. But you know what? They are afforded the same freedom of speech as we're afforded. When you take that away, what was it that was said? The people will be led silent as sheep to the slaughter. Was that George Washington who said that? Freedom, freedom of expression is taken away. The people will be led silent and dumb like lambs to slaughter. Something uh, George, well, I, I read a lot of freedom of speech quotes. Um, but, you know, I, I see there is my conundrum, Jam, because I don't think that what the Westboro Baptist Church does at private funeral services um, should be allowed. I, I really don't. You, you want to protest something? You know what? Go to the public park. Go to City Hall. Go, go there. Um, I, I don't think that they should be allowed to behave the way they behave at funeral services. I just don't. Um, I think it's wrong. I think not only is it, it morally wrong, it's, it's 
it's sick. Um, I, I think that people should be allowed to grieve in peace. Um, do I feel bad that Saddam Hussein was put to death? Fuck no, I don't feel bad. There isn't an ounce of me that feels bad at all. I would never have thought that it would be okay or that it would be right for me to go stand 50 yards from his family at the funeral service holding a sign and screaming out that he was a murderer. You, you realize, basically, to talk about those scumbags, and I'll probably get slapped with a lawsuit for that, <laughs> they're basically a group of lawyers, right? They want to get sued. That That's all they are. They can call themselves a church all they want. They want to have lawsuits and start lawsuits and start shit because they can make money from that. You know, they're lawyers. This is what they do. And unfortunately, they're up on constitutional law. They know what they can do. Now, um, when they publicize that they're going to protest at a funeral, I don't know if you've noticed lately what's happened. You've had biker gangs go to these funerals and forcibly keep them out. You know, you've had, you know, groups of people go and counter-protest to them. I, you can fight fire with fire, but you can't make something illegal just because it's ugly. When we cross that line, what's next? What, what will they take away from us when yeah, we take I've, away I've, something uh, from the scumbags? I've dropped in the chat the a Google search I did. Uh, which is the anti Whisperer Church protesters and their signs. Some of them are yeah. very, very funny. Yeah. And yeah, the Whisperer people, people do not look happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's... I'm not, I'm not saying that. that they don't have a right to their opinion. I'm not saying they don't have a right to protest. But I am saying that there are appropriate places for it. And at a funeral service, Jan is not one of those places. So, so you agree with First Amendment zones then? I, I'm just wondering. like, And I, and I guess I'm saying yes to that. Um, that okay, public yes. spaces are uh, public spaces, yes. Um, that cemetery isn't a public space. Um, it's not. Well, it's then, private property. Then, then um, what should happen is that the owner of said cemeteries should be calling the cops and having them removed you know and uh, they should but um, i mean and that's the way you handle that but you know i have a problem okay well there yeah in the uk a, if you do that sort of protest in a cemetery you probably would get arrested yeah <laughs> i mean it, it, it makes sense but at the same time does anybody remember the Democratic National Convention earlier this year where they built these giant fucking steel cages to keep protesters out after Bernie Sanders was ousted by that bitch Hillary Clinton built these cages all around the Democratic National Convention Center and the free speech zones where people could actually protest were a couple miles out then they were taking people and detaining them and never bring them to prison 
never charging them, never fingerprinting them, never photographing them, and just leaving them in local schools locked up for a couple days till it was over. So people's rights are being eroded left and right. Um, I'm a big believer in no masters. I don't think that the government has really done a lot of great things. I think they've done a lot of shitty things and they've taken a lot of freedom from people. But granted, it's taken them 200 years to do it. But I have a real problem with basic protections being eroded because we don't like what people say or do. That's life. That's just where I sit on this part of it, I guess. So, so there, and sorry, I, I derailed ahead. into that, and you and That's I just we we do we fundamentally disagree mm -hmm. on on parts of this. That's um, yeah, yeah, we we disagree. Uh -huh. The thing with protests and and like i said i don't have a problem with peaceful protest i don't um i do have a problem with riots and i think that's the thing that people aren't understanding is there's a, there's a difference between a protest and a riot and I, a lot I, I, of what we have seen lately has devolved into the riot zone but yet when the police get involved all you see on the media is they were protesting. No, they fucking weren't. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're destroying public property and you're destroying private property. That is no longer a protest. Very. You want to talk a little bit about George Soros' involvement in the color regime changes in other countries, please? Uh, well, I don't know a huge amount, but George Soros pays people to riot, basically. Yes, he does. <laughs> And he's paying our people to fucking riot. He's paying our people to fucking riot. Black Lives Matter is drawing a fucking salary from Luvon and George Soros. That's yeah, the problem. Now, 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 those were interesting leaks from WikiLeaks. <laughs> yes, they were. I highly recommend going to, um, and it should be called SorosLeak.com or org. And downloading those files because you will see some really interesting things. You will see the amount of money that George Soros's Open Society gave to Hillary Clinton the whole time she was in public office. You will see the amount of money and you will see plans that they've made to disrupt basic democracy in other countries that they don't like. It, it's really quite pants-shittingly terrifying that someone has this much money to throw around and break shit because they don't like it. Um, so he'll, he'll have to be careful because if he heaps it up, he'll, he'll end up getting knocked off by the CIA anyway because, you mm -hmm. know, he's infringing on their territory. Yeah. It, so it's, it's it's traditionally, it's them that does that shit. Yeah, well, it's, it's some pretty fucked up shit. He has been involved in every overthrow of the government that has ever been. And he really does not like the government that we have now. Excuse me. Sorry. I'm drinking a Red Bull. I have a little bit of a headache. Um, so this is a problem. And this was not what I intended to talk about tonight. I really, I, I have 
no problem with George Soros spreading money in other countries and other ways, but he's basically giving extremists a large amount of money to disrupt the basic workings of a democracy so that he can have the kind of government that he likes enabled. This is a man who said the best time of his life was when his country was occupied by Nazi Germany. This is a man who said he thinks he's more of a god than anything else. That's pantshittingly terrifying to me that this man has that amount of money to put forth to disrupt the workings of government, which is something that apparently most people agree that we need. So there are other underlying things happening just around the things that you see that you don't know about. And I think that affects a lot more of what we see than what we know. So there's that. <laughs> now, before I go completely into what, what would you call that? The realms of conspiracy theory, even though there's tinfoil hat area. Yeah. Tinfoil hat area. Um, even though there's actual documented proof. Um, I think I'm going to talk about David Petraeus. Could David Petraeus, rumored candidate for Secretary of State, get a security clearance? After months of criticizing Hillary Clinton for mishandling classified information while serving as Secretary of State, Donald Trump is reportedly considering David Petraeus for the same job, even though the four-star general and former CIA director pled guilty to passing classified information to his former lover and biographer. The Guardian reported on Thursday that Petraeus is in the running for Secretary of State in the Trump administration. The anonymously sourced report could not be confirmed, but Petraeus reportedly met with Trump just before the election and has been complimentary about the president-elect. On German cable news, Petraeus called Trump a dealmaker and said he's right to criticize Washington over its partisanship and inability to forge compromises. Petraeus resigned as CIA director in 2012 after the FBI discovered he was having an affair with Paula Broadwell, his biographer. The resulting investigation revealed that he had given her highly classified information and Justice Department prosecutors wanted to indict Petraeus on felony charges. According to his 2015 plea deal, Petraeus intentionally gave Broadwell access to eight black books filled with highly classified information, including the identities of covert officers, war strategy, intelligence capabilities and mechanisms, diplomatic discussion, and even Petraeus' conversations with the president. He also admitted that he had misled the FBI during the investigation. In contrast to national security whistleblowers, who frequently face espionage charges and decades in prison for divulging classified information, Petraeus never went to jail and was sentenced to only two years probation and a $100,000 fine. Petraeus went on to draw a lucrative salary as chairman of a private equity firm, KKR, while many speculated he was pondering a return to public life. It is unclear from his plea deal whether Petraeus kept a Defense Department or CIA security clearance, but he continued to advise the White House on counterterrorism strategies in Iraq, possibly requiring him to have access to classified materials. When asked by The Intercept whether Petraeus still had a security clearance, the CIA declined to comment. The DOD also declined to comment as a matter of individual privacy. When reached through his assistant at KKR, Petraeus also declined to comment. 
a Congressional Research Service report from October reviewed security clearance procedures and requirements, noting there are 13 guidelines for determining eligibility. Four of those guidelines, including areas that could potentially raise questions for Petraeus, including sexual behavior, personal conduct, criminal conduct, and handling protected information. However, issues raised in those areas do not necessarily mean a person won't receive a clearance. Adverse information regarding one of the guidelines will not automatically result in a denial of a security clearance, the report says. Regardless of his ability to get a clearance, Petraeus' nomination could open the administration to charges of hypocrisy. Hillary, I'm sorry, Hillary Clinton's use of an insecure private email server was a mainstay of Republican criticism throughout the campaign and during numerous congressional hearings and investigations, which accused her of mishandling classified information. In a September speech attacking his Democratic rival, Trump said if she applied for a low-level job at the State Department today, she couldn't even get a security clearance. Petraeus previously served as a advisor to Hillary Clinton on her national security working group. The Trump transition team did not immediately respond to a request for comment. And that is the nice story about the Trump administration today. Yeah, bottom line, he has been convicted of a crime. He shouldn't mm -hmm. be allowed to hold public office. There that's all. That's it. That is Th exactly that simple. How it that's be. how simple it should be. Well, it is, but it's not. But it would be if you were actually draining a swamp. Okay. Uh, Jeannie, pick one. Are you still here? I'm still here. Let's talk about the cop. <sighs> okay. This one. Can you see what I'm highlighting? No, I can't. Oh, Appeal, yeah. Appeals Court? That one? Yeah. Okay. Appeals Court to cops. If you don't have time for constitutional bullshit, you don't get immunity. From the Their Rights Not Privileges Department. A disabled vet with PTSD accidentally called a suicide prevention hotline when intending to dial the Veterans Crisis Line. Within hours, he was dealing with D.C. Metro's finest, dispatched to handle an attempted suicide. This brief quote from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals opinion, part of veteran Matthew Corrigan's first conversation with responding officers, sets the tone for the next several hours of constitutional violations. The officer who had asked for keys for the key told him, I don't have time to play this constitutional bullshit. We're going to break down your door. You're going to have to pay for a new door. Corrigan, Department 94 dot 15 slash 18 corrigan replied it looks like i'm paying for a new door then i'm not giving you consent to go into my place 94.1921 this is as much respect as the responding officer had for corrigan's constitutional rights the rest of the opinion shows how they've handled the supposed suicide case with the same level of care the opening of the opinion recounts just how dangerous it is to talk to nearly anyone linked to the government about your personal problems Matthew Corrigan is an Army reservist and an Iraq War veteran who, in February 2010, was also an employee of the U.S. Department of Labor's Bureau of Labor Statistics. On the night of February 2, 2010, suffering from sleep deprivation, he inadvertently phoned the National Suicide Hotline when dialing a number he thought was a veteran's crisis line. When he told the hotline volunteer he was a veteran diagnosed with PTSD, she asked whether he had been drinking or using drugs and whether he owned guns. Corrigan assured her that he was only using his prescribed medication and was not under the influence of any illicit drugs or alcohol. He then admitted he owned guns. 
The volunteer told him to put the guns down, and Corrigan responded, That's crazy, I don't have them out. Despite Corrigan's assurances that his guns were safely stored, the volunteer repeatedly asked him to tell her the guns are down. When asked if he intended to hurt himself or if he intended to harm others, he responded no to both questions. Frustrated, Corrigan eventually hung up and turned off his phone, took his prescribed medication, and went to sleep. The hotline volunteer proceeded to notify the MPD. The MPD picked up the case, drawing new hunches and facts picked up from the world's most direct game of telephone. At approximately 11.13 p.m., according to the February 9, 2010, barricade report from Lieutenant Glover to the MPD Chief of Police, officers from the MPD 5th District were dispatched to Corrigan's home for, quote, attempted suicide barricade report number one. Certain undisclosed information led them to believe the subject was possibly armed with a shotgun. Undisclosed may well mean imaginary. That's not the only thing relayed by the hotline was that Corrigan owned guns. And owning gun is not the same as being armed with them, as Corrigan tried to make clear to the hotline operator. This was, wasn't the only thing the MPD imagined to, into existence to justify its constitutional violations and destruction of Corrigan's home. Upon arrival, the officers thought they detected a strong odor of natural gas and contracted, contacted the gas company, which turned off the gas to the row house. Uh, police officers have the best noses, the greatest. Perhaps the MPD should have spoken to someone who knew Corrigan and the place he lived first. His landlady, upon being advised that the reason for the police presence was Corrigan's attempted suicide, had insisted that was outrageous and repeatedly told the MPD officers that there was a big misunderstanding because she had known Corrigan for two years and had never felt more comfortable with a neighbor in her life. She explained to the officers that Corrigan had guns because he was in the military and that his home had electric, not gas, appliances. So the police, faced with a possible suicide intervention, did what police do best. They turned a neighborhood into a war zone and an intervention into a standoff and where the police were the only willing participants. The officers contacted Lieutenant Glover at, at home, and he in turn gave orders to declare a barricade situation. At 2 a.m., the ERT assumed tactical control of the situation. At 2.10 a.m., the MPD began to secure the perimeter around Corgan's home, including evacuating his neighbors. Inside of this barricade was a sleeping war veteran. After being awakened by the cops kicking at his front and back door, Corrigan designed, decided to retreat from the impending confrontation by moving to his bathroom and attempting to return to sleep. When it became apparent sleep wouldn't be an option, he checked his voicemail, helpfully filled with demands for responding officers, and placed a call to one of MPD's quote-unquote negotiators. He told the officer who was coming out of the house that he was unarmed and that he would be carrying his cell phone in his left hand so it wouldn't be mistaken for a gun, a trigger-happy suicide prevention negotiator. He exited out of his house, locked the door behind him, both to keep his dog in and the MPD out, and laid down his back. Police zip-tied his hands and told him they only wanted to talk to him. He had committed no crime. Corrigan voluntarily agreed to check in at the Veterans Hospital for PTSD treatment, but he refused to give the quote-unquote negotiators permission to search his home. That's what triggered the fuck you and your constitution outburst from the MPD's specially trained suicide prevention unit. Uh, the MPD retained, remained Corrigan, convinced Corrigan's house was loaded with IEDs, weapons, and whatever else they could dream up to justify their unconstitutional invasion. After Corrigan was in MPD custody, Lieutenant Glover ordered by the ERT, led by Sergeant Pope, to break into Corrigan's home to search for any human threats that remained or victims. Screw the Constitution. There might be any number of lives to be saved. 
How do we know this? Because the DC Metro Police firmly believes this is always the case in these situations, despite any information gathered that points to the contrary. As a matter of course, Glover explained, if an ERT unit is called to a scene, it goes inside 99.9% .9 of the time because standard protocol assumes if there is one person inside, there's two. If there's two, there's three. If there's three, there's four, and exponentially on up. In MPD's eyes, every individual is an army. With this being the MPD's standard protocol, one wonders how it deals with the constant disappointment. Upon breaking into Corgan's home, the ERT encountered only Corgan's dog. No one was found inside, and no dangerous or illegal items were in plain view. Frustrated by the lack of plain view dangerousness, the MPD decided to take it out on Corrigan's uncooperative residence. It did this five hours later, and again without a warrant. During a second MPD search, EOD officers cut open every zippered bag, dumped out on the floor the contents of every box and drawer, broke into locked boxes under the bed in the closet, emptied shelves into piles in each room, broke into locked boxes containing Corrigan's three firearms. <coughs> but wait, there's more. Upon returning home, Corrigan found his home in complete disarray. The police had left the contents of his bureau drawers and shelves scattered on the floor. His electric stove had been left on, and the front door of his home was left unlocked. Recovered in the two unconstitutional searches were some weapons, smoke grenades, and fireworks. Corrigan's mistaken call to the wrong hotline resulted in 10 weapons and ammunitions charges. That evidence has been suppressed, and because the appeals court doesn't find any of the MPD's actions remotely justifiable, the officers performing the searches will have to face Corrigan's lawsuit. Even assuming, without deciding, that the initial sweep of Corrigan's home by the MPD emergency response team was justified under exigent circumstances and emergency aid exceptions to the warrant requirement, the second top-to-bottom search by the Explosive Ordnance Unit, after the MPD had been on scene for several hours, was not. The MPD had already secured the area and determined that no one was inside Corrigan's home and that there were no dangerous or illegal items in plain sight. Corrigan had previously surrendered peacefully to MPD custody. The information that the MPD had about Corrigan, a U.S. Army veteran and reservist with no known criminal record, failed to provide an abjectly reasonable response for believing there was an exigent need to break into Corrigan's home a second time to search for hazardous materials, whose presence was based on speculative hunches about vaguely described military items in a green duffel bag, and assuming without deciding that the community caretaking exception to the warrant requirement applies to a home, the scope of the second search exceeded what the exception would allow. In the end, what the MPD would have the court hold is that Corrigan's army training with improvised explosive devices and post-traumatic stress disorder he suffers as a result of his military service characterizes shared by characteristics shared by countless veterans <coughs> sorry, who have risked their lives for this country could justify an extensive and destructive warrantless search of every drawer and container in his home. Neither the law nor the factual record can reasonably be read to support that sweeping conclusion. Better yet, the screwier Constitution officers have had their immunity stripped. Hang on a second. I need to take a drink here, guys. Sorry. Because it was and is clearly established that law enforcement officers much, must have an abjectly reasonable basis for believing exigently exigency justifies a warrantless search of a home, because no reasonable officer could have concluded such a basis existed for the second more intrusive search, the officers were not entitled to qualified immunity across the board. Objectively reasonable is not a high bar, but the MPD never had any intent of reaching it. The officer's statement that there was no time for the Constitution made that very clear. 
The failure to find anything in plain view during the first sweep was treated as an excuse to turn a cooperative man's cooperative except for their consent to search upside down uh, until officers could find something to excuse their steamrolling of the Fourth Amendment. They figured what they uncovered would save them after the fact. That's the ends just to find the means. And that's precisely what the Fourth Amendment is there to protect against. Yeah. The the thing that gets me about this story is the basic timeline. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, it's just they're, they're responding to a potential suicide and they spend two hours securing the area, turning off gas, trying to phone him. Uh, I don't know of any suicides where it takes the person <laughs> two hours. No, uh, yeah, well... Um... And and then they, they, they basically just want to break into his house and mm -hmm. find something to charge him with. <laughs> yep. Yep. Really, uh... I don't think these guys have the right training. Something just, you know, <laughs> lets me think that. Um... I, I think the, the part that was, like, the most mind-blowing to me was, screw this constitutional bullshit. That was that was great, Jeannie. Uh, I'm supposed <laughs> to shake my head. I so, and then when they didn't find what they wanted, they they just fucked up all this guy's shit. Mm -hmm. And and sadly, um, you know, this one should end in a lawsuit, and and it should end in in the city. Um, having to terminate these guys, but you know what? These these guys are going to be on unpaid on on paid leave, not unpaid, but paid leave. Uh -huh. Well, it goes to court, and and it's determined that these jackasses were were just trying to cover up mm -hmm. the fact that they broke the fucking law. Um, <laughs> and. Yeah, yeah. He'll be lucky if he ever sees his firearms again, though. You, you and I both know this, Jen. Yeah, I mean, this is why, you know, this is why it's it's good, I think. Um, and, and this sounds so weird. It sounds so paranoid. Um, this is why you, if you own weapons or have weapons training, you never go to a doctor with a psychological problem. Ever. <laughs> um, not if you want to still have access to those weapons. And really, or that, that training, or that ability to be trained. And and that's really a shame. Um, it, don't get me wrong. Some people really... We have a list here in Florida. Right? And you are supposed to go on it if you had any sort of like mental health treatment, oddly enough, not any sort of like alcohol treatment or, you know, drug treatment, but any sort of like mental health problem, you know, whether you've seen a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, and especially if you've been, you know, convicted of like stalking someone, right? You're supposed to go on this list. So come to find out, 
in the last five years, the lists have not been updated at all. So people are walking around possibly with concealed weapons who have not been put on a list that is supposed to be there to protect people. So they're not following their own rules. They're not following their own laws here. So they're just making shit up as they go along. And that's scary to me. Possibly the most scary part of it all. I don't have time for this constitutional bullshit. Whether you like the idea or not, and I've come to believe quite honestly in this, I don't like the idea of a government. I'd be a lot happy without it. Um, Much happier. But there's still those few protections written into the Bill of Rights and the Constitution that we do have. That is supposed to be our shield from the government and it's being eroded very rapidly and that scares me more than anything because when that's gone they can do anything they want and we can say fuck all about it to me that's that's a sign that you live in a very dangerous place am i wrong No, when they start taking your rights, no, that is the, yeah, not good. Yeah, not a good thing. Or, Uh, as in this case, they just ignore them. Yeah. Yeah. Rights? We don't have time for this bullshit? Boy. I just, I just love that it was said, and it's actually in a court document. We don't have time for this constitutional bullshit. Um, Yeah, they should have to pay him back. But uh, I, I don't think he's going to get his guns back ever again, truthfully. And it's a shame because he didn't seem like he was one of those people running around being nutty with him. Well, the okay. only thing that threw me was he went in the bathroom to try to go back to sleep. <laughs> you gotta own that was a little odd. Well, I mean, I think he was under influence of whatever the fuck his medication does. Oh, uh, as someone who's been on insomnia medications and, and the like, yeah, you don't think straight. Oh, no. well, that's true because I, yeah, my sister takes Ambien and, and I am telling you what, you can seriously fuck with my sister after she's taken her supplements. Um, she, um, and she works really odd hours. Um, so, you know, I mean, she might be at work, um, for 24 hours um, in a very high stress job and she has always had sleep issues so for her to be able to sleep um, Ambien I guess has been a godsend for her Um, I can't take the shit Uh, but um, the the high school seniors always sell magazines subscriptions do do you know what I mean does that happen where you guys live okay well so so one of one of my great nephew's buddies called to talk to her and ask her if she would be interested in magazines and she didn't realize this until you know Tyler had said something to her about wow that was that was that was nice of you to get magazines when whatever the hell his buddy's name was called and she's like oh yeah sure and didn't think anything of it mm-hmm. right well, she should have thought something of it. <laughs> My sister bought like $650 worth of magazine scri- subscriptions when she was on Ambien. 
Yeah. Um, apparently, she'd asked him, "Well, what do you? What? Which ones are there?" And he started reading them off, and she goes, "Oh yeah, I'll take that one. Yeah, I'll take that one. Sure. Yeah, I'll take that one. Six hundred and fifty dollars worth of fucking magazine subscriptions." And, and she was so embarrassed, she didn't have the balls to cancel any of them. So Were any of them any good? That's the question. <laughs> She, but okay, very. So you you said that. Now I have to point out that I call my sister clay tablet in a stick because that's her level of understanding technology. Popular mechanics and and <laughs> and computer tech were not the fucking magazines that my sister needed. Um, yeah, um, clay tablet in a stick. I had to write down directions for her for copy and paste. She still has them taped to the lid on her laptop. Control C and Control V are still taped to her laptop. <laughs> so I know that she knows what they are. So when I say she is clay tablet and a stick, I honestly mean she is clay tablet and a stick. So she's really good at cuneiform then. Should be great in ancient Egypt with the little reeds, making the little marks in the clay tablets. She I called guess. me to ask me if she graduated to papyrus when when she set up a Gmail account for herself. <laughs> Only yeah. if she uses it and the, and 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 knows how the spam folder works. Yeah. It does delete after thirty days automatically. So I take it back about not understanding why the guy went in the bathroom to go back to sleep. I, guess. Yeah, yeah. I just felt so, I was reading this. One of, one of the better news sources actually is TechDirt. If you're looking for technology stories. And that's where this one is from. It's from TechDirt. And um, I was just blown away by it. You know, it, it's not often, technology is not one of those issues that embraces people with guns really readily. So that was like a revelation to read that there. You know, I, I, I felt really good to see that they understood a constitutional violation is a constitutional violation no matter what it's violating. You know, that the ends don't always justify the means. Maybe, maybe that's, that's the, uh, moral behind it all the ends don't always justify the means i guess i don't know so i'm gonna pick the new york one and then very it's your turn new york da versus apple encryption we need new federal law to unlock 400 seized iphones doesn't this just feel like a didn't we just do this kind of thing New York City County, no, I'm sorry, New York County District Attorney Cyrus Vance has renewed a call for federal regulation uh, legislation requiring Apple to make iOS warrant friendly. In a report released on Thursday at the launch of the Manhattan's DA, DA's new cyber lab, Vance revealed there are now four, over 400 locked iPhones sitting within New York County that could be used to help investigate serious crimes if only Apple would or rather could help. 
the DA argues that law enforcement agencies do not want a backdoor to Apple and Google products, but rather a return to pre-September 2014 when Apple's encryption didn't prevent them from carrying out a search warrant on an iPhone. In a speech at the launch, Vance said the report showed that requiring smartphone makers to retain the ability to extract data will not increase users' risks of being hacked. He said the report concluded that doing nothing about this problem will perpetuate an untenable arms race between private industry and law enforcement, and that federal legislation is our only chance to lay these arms aside. Apple released iOS 8 in September 2014 with a new encryption method that prevented access to stored data unless the password was known. It triggered a drawn-out skirmish between Apple and U.S. law enforcement that came to a head in February over the FBI's fight to have an Apple have Apple unlock the San Bernardino shooter's iPhone 5C. Apple defied a court order demanding it build a special variant of iOS to get around limits on brute-forcing iOS passcodes, arguing it would raise the security risk for all iPhone users. The FBI eventually unlocked the service without Apple's help, despite earlier FBI claims that accessing the data was impossible without Apple's assistance. Vance says 10% of the locked iPhones in the DA cyber lab are related to homicides, attempted murder cases, and 9% are related to sex crimes. While Vance has presented similar numbers previously, the call for federal legislation could be given a popular boost by President-elect Donald Trump, who previously called for a boycott on Apple products when it refused to help the FBI. Vance said the Manhattan DA's office now exceeds its 2,200-square-foot cyber lab to deal with the sheer volume of digital evidence. Nearly every crime against Manhattan residents and institutions involving digital evidence will engage the resources and expertise of this lab, he said, with a dedicated space for our prosecutors, investigators, and analysts to work together on fast-moving investigations. New York City is better equipped than ever to combat the rising tide of cybercrime and identity theft. Feels like we're revisiting the same old news, doesn't it? Yeah, things go round in circles. They definitely do. But it's not surprising. It is surprising that they feel really hopeful about getting that passed now, although probably not. I'm uncomfortable with the president-elect stance on you know, encryption and crime and how things should be treated. I have a problem with that. Um, night, Jenny. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm unhappy with that. So. Yeah. Pick one? <laughs> Let's go snooping. Uh, okay. Now, I... I'm sorry to be talking about Snopes, but there's a reason, and it's a good reason. Whether I happen to agree with Snopes or not, this is actually a quite intelligent and reasonably thought out thought process about news, I think, don't you? I mean, I think it's really well done. Yeah, I mean, Snopes... um... They can be very hit and miss, but yeah, on this particular subject, I think they've hit it really well. Yeah, I, I think they got it right on the nose this time. According to Snopes, fake news is not the problem. Take it from the internet's chief mythbusters. The problem is the failing media. 
The day after the election, news began swirling about social media that the New York Times columnist David Brooks had called for President-elect Donald Trump's assassination. Snopes managing editor Brooke Benowski had a feeling it was fake, because, come on now, would a prominent columnist for a reputable news outlet really make that kind of comment? Snopes has made its business out of correcting the misunderstood satire, malicious falsehood, and poorly informed gossip that echoes across the internet, and that business is booming. Traffic jumped over 85% over last year, past uh, the past year to 13.6 million unique visitors in October, according to Comscore. The site supports itself through advertising, and in the last three years, it has made enough money to quadruple the size of its staff. Sure enough, a bit of Snopes reporting revealed that Brooks had written a column saying that Trump would likely resign or be impeached within a year. A news item published on the rightist claims that Brooks had said in an interview for KYRQ Radio in New York that Trump should be killed. Snope found the rightist doesn't even pretend to traffic in truth. In the site's about section, it describes itself this way. This is a hybrid site of news and satire. Part of our stories happens, part not yet. Not all of our stories are true. What's more, the story's facts didn't add up. For example, the site claimed Brooks had made the comments on a radio station, KYRQ, that didn't exist. Or false. This is the state of truth on the internet in 2016. Now that it is, is, it is as easy for a Macedonian teenager to create a website as it is for the New York Times, and now that the information is most likely to find a large audience, is that which is most alarming, not most correct. In the wake of the election, the spread of this kind of phony news on Facebook and other social media platforms has come under fire for stroking fears and influencing the election's outcome. Both Facebook and Google have taken moves to bar fake news sites from their advertising platforms, aiming to cut off the site's sources of revenue. But, as managing editor of the fact-checking Snopes site, Brooke Benowski believes Facebook perpetuation of phony news is not to blame for our epidemic of misinformation. It's not social media that's the problem, she says emphatically. People are looking for somebody to pick on. The alt-rights have been empowered, and that's not going to go away anytime soon, but they've also always been around. The misinformation crisis, according to Benowski, stems from something more pernicious. In the past, the sources of accurate information were recognizable enough that phony news was relatively easy for a discerning reader to identify and discredit. The problem, Benowski believes, is that the public has lost faith in the media broadly. Therefore, no media outlet is considered credible any longer. The reasons are familiar. As the business of news has grown tougher, many outlets have been stripped of the resources they need for journalists to do their jobs correctly. When you're on your fifth story of the day and there's no editor because the editor's been fired and there's no fact checker so you have to Google it for yourself and you don't have access to any academic journals or anything like that, you will screw stories up, she says. Founded two decades ago to debunk urban legends, Snopes has grown into a major corrections operation with an editorial staff of nearly a dozen people gifting through the internet for news that smells fishy. No delayed military absentee ballots would not have swung the election. No, Melania Trump has not filed for divorce, nor was her husband born in Pakistan. No, Mike Pence definitely did not tell Fox News that gay conversion therapy saved his marriage. Snopes reporters often choose stories to investigate based on their own web reading. You know, some of us are just inaccuracy snobs, but some of us are ideologues too, Bernowski says. She certainly falls into that camp. I believe in sunlight being the best disinfectant, and I believe in the power of truth, she says. 
the incendiary made of headlines that are often the most straightforward false falsehood. The incendiary made of headlines are often the most straightforward falsehoods to identify. Honestly, most of the fake news is incredibly easy to debunk because it's such obvious bullshit, she says. A site will have something buried somewhere on it that says, this is intended to be satire, don't sue us. Banowski says the more important work involves setting the record straight at legitimate publications that get things wrong. For example, in December, a story about El Chapo threatening ISIS appeared in the New York Post, on Forbes, and in the Washington Times, among other outlets. It didn't survive Snopes as Snopes reporter, yet news outlets were reporting and re-reporting the story. Banowski had spent a portion of her professional journalistic career covering the border region between Mexico and the United States. If El Chapo had made a statement like this, I would have heard about it because I'm in contact with all of those Zapista groups in Mexico, she said. So she tracked down the original author of the information, a Brit who had written the piece as satire. He was like, I didn't think this was going to go viral. I guess I really just nailed that El Chapo narrative, she remembers. I was like, yeah, you sure did. Snopes published a story in which the author said the El Chapo story was satire, and he never intended it to get so big. As a result, the Duke publications ran corrections. Panowski also points to the challenges the media face in relaying complex information quickly and accurately. To help, recently, Snopes has begun to publish important news-related information as a resource for journalists and others. Last week, for example, Banowski wrote a piece about how the Electoral College functions that served as a reference for other reporters writing about the election. It's really complex stuff you can't just read about and then write about, she says. We're going to be doing more of that. Two decades into its existence, Snopes has built a strong brand as a credible mythbuster. If you aren't sure whether something is true, Google it. If Snopes' link is among your first search results, it's probably not. Even so, corrections rarely get the attention the original stories generate. Against the viral tidal wave of misinformation, it can be hard to tell how much impacts the Snopes team is having. The only thing we are doing that we can really keep doing is just say the truth again and again and again and again and again and just keep doing it, says Banowski. You have to have a really specific type of personality to not want to just go back to bed. Quite. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we've said before, I mean, with the way... Oh, yeah. air quotes, journalists work these days. Some of the most idiotic sites are now more credible than the actual media. You know, The Onion, News Thump. Oh, I know. Um, uh, uh, what is the, the military site? Something Locker? Something Locker. Um, and then, you know, uh, there's a bunch of them. I mean, and they look well done. Yeah. That is the scary part of these things. And I mean, and it's gotten to the point where I can't, I literally cannot share shit from the onion anymore without posting. This is satire. Yeah. And that scares me. Now this national report.net. Please don't believe anything. Those people, write. It is actually intended to be satire, including this story about Chris Christie getting nominated to the Supreme food court. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a problem. And it, it just, I don't understand how anybody could take it seriously. Look at those pictures on the front page. Ted Cruz and Sarah Palin. Oh, boy. You know, come on now. That, that is a really bad picture of Chris Christie. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, Snopes are right. It is down, the mainstream media has basically bombarded the world with so much 
petty, stupid stories that yeah. now nobody can tell what satire is. Well, I mean, this is why a lot of people had trouble with that previously before all <laughs> this shit. I know. Now it's worse. That's why we do this. That's why every week I sit there and I research this stuff and I try to make sure it's real before I tell you about it. And anything I tell you is real. Anything I tell you is as real as I can verify it to be. If I fuck something up, I'll admit it. I will tell you. I will tell you that I honestly believe the stories that I tell you are the truth in as much as I can find truth in them. And I will look at both sides, both sides of news sources. I will look at something from The Guardian, and then I will go find something really right-wing, like The Washington Times, to see what they say. And somewhere in between those two is the truth. There is always a grain of truth in the really good stories. Um, I could see Chris Christie getting nominated to the Supreme Food Court. I mean, he's a big man. But um, that in itself is funny and satire, and you can tell it's funny and satire, but I still have to label this stuff. There's Onion stories I've put on my page before that people have shared and, and been upset about, and I'm like, you know this is satire, right? People don't know The Onion is satire. How is that possible? How, how can they read even the headlines in most Onion stories and not oh, know no. it's satire? Because well, they're, I mean, they're normally quite blatant. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. During this election season, there have been times where I've been like, damn, the onion called it, which is scary to me. That should not be happening. But, um, yeah, mainstream media has gotten really bad. They're, they're fact-checking on Wikipedia now. That didn't used to be an acceptable thing. And it is now. You know, and it's not just that. You've got bots writing stories for fuck's sake. A lot of the financial news you read, you ever wonder why it's so boring or it doesn't make fucking sense? Nine times out of ten, it's a bot writing it. You don't have any human interaction there, so there's no real human filter for it to go through. And that's scary in and of itself. I don't know. It's Journalism is in a dismal state. There are some bright spots. The Intercept does a really good job. Um, Truth Dig has some really good stuff. Tech Dirt, Ars Technica, every once in a while has some really good stuff when it's not super biased. And a lot of the news sites that are very good are also very biased. That's also a problem. There's no real balance in the news anymore. Not that I think there has been since Fox, F-A-U-X News came out. But um, there is no real just the facts, ma'am, anymore. I don't think it's so much like that in the UK. You know, when I see your news, when I see your news reports, they're very serious stuff. You know, I, I shudder for what journalism is turning into, though. When we're getting real reports from the likes of Jonathan Pye that are more truthful than from our reporters, we're in a bad way. It's as bad as having your only credible news source being John fucking Stewart. Um, that's not good either. Well, I nipped over at the onion as it happens, and this this <laughs> this is one of the headlines that popped out at me and you know. 
Yeah. That's the people getting the bulk of the news off the graffiti scrawled on the walls in their neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Breitbart, as bad as they are, they list their sources. You can go back and find the original source. You know, and that's really helpful. Because without that, you're just relying on their say-so. But a lot of times reports will get twisted the facts will get changed um, and you've got to look at that watchdog news um although bankrolled by the heritage foundation which i'm not hugely thrilled about their reporters do a really good job of reporting what's actually happening where a lot of publications won't touch this stuff because it's so controversial and we've monetized journalism so much and fallen into the habit of clicking so much that it doesn't it's a problem people don't read oh and and just for people out there who are podcast junkies you'll kind of like this you won't have to get all your intercept stories from me anymore the intercept is also taking their stories and reading them aloud and putting them up in podcast form because people don't read anymore this is the new way to get news in podcast form i'm guessing this is the new normal. Well, I mean, yeah, we're, we're heading rapidly towards uh, Max Headroom. <laughs> I'm sure you remember that show. I do remember Max Headroom. Where, yeah, uh, the, new, the news is given out in like 10 second bursts of verbal diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do that. I don't have 10 seconds of verbal diarrhea, but, you know, I, I have a bias. I fully admit I have a bias. Everybody who talks news on this show has some kind of bias. We all do. We all have our viewpoints, and that's why there is more than one viewpoint represented here. That's an important thing. You, you don't get that from the lamestream media anymore. Okay. Very pick one. Okay, let's go back to that lovely thing. Uh, let's have a session. <laughs> oh. Let's have a session. Oh. It's so that This is one of the scariest stories yeah, of the uh, week for me. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. No. <sighs> it, it's not... It really isn't... It, it's not good stuff. Um, and... Um, one of the things I can say about myself is I actually am a civil libertarian. I believe you have certain liberties that are enshrined in the Constitution, but I also believe you are born with certain liberties that should not be able to be easily taken away. That said, um, this is a good headline for this story. Jeff Sessions' nomination as Attorney General alarms civil libertarians. Well, you know, I'm a civil libertarian. I would agree with that. President-elect Donald Trump has nominated U.S. Senator Jeff Sessions of Alabama to be his administration's attorney general, a move that civil liberties advocates are decrying as a likely catastrophe for privacy and immigration. While many of Trump's forthcoming nominations will amount to little more than the inside the beltway gossip, Sessions stands out. He's an advocate for surveillance and an enemy of encryption. 
an opponent of criminal justice reform, and a hotliner on immigration. First elected to the U.S. Senate in 1996, he has long stood to the right, even among his conservative Republican colleagues, as a champion of security above all. As Attorney General, Sessions would have the power to radically recast the Obama administration's definition of civil liberties online and off. The Senate Judiciary Committee must still approve Sessions' nomination, but civil rights groups are already sounding the alarm over the possibility that he could become the most powerful law enforcement officer in the land. Sessions' track record also suggests that he's going to find himself at sharp odds with the tech industry's liberal and libertarian-leaning leadership. <clears throat> Anti-immigration crusader. Sessions has perhaps been the most influential figure in shaping Trump's sweeping immigration policy. The president-elect has promised to build a border wall, deport millions of undocumented immigrants, repeal a program that defends deportation of people who came to the United States as kids, and impose severe limits on the immigration of high-skilled workers. Sessions has championed all of these positions throughout his nearly 20 years in office. At the crux of Sessions' argument is that immigration, both legal and illegal, threatens Americans' physical security and their job security. He has never seen a visa program he wouldn't like to take away, says Ali Nurani, executive director of the National Immigration Forum, which advocates for immigration reform. He is opposed to immigration as we know it, full stop. This has put Sessions at odds with the tech industry's pro-immigration advocates, including Mark Zuckerberg. In 2014, when Zuckerberg backed lobbying group FWD.US was funding ads in support of the Comprehensive Immigration Reform Bill, Sessions personally denounced Zuckerberg in a lengthy speech on the Senate floor. So I'd pose a question to Mr. Zuckerberg, Sessions said at the time. I read the news that Facebook is now worth more than $200 billion. Is that enough money to hire American workers for a change? FWD.US declined to comment for this story. But in an interview in April, Executive Director Todd Schultz said of Sessions, it's very hard to make the case that he's not the single worst person on highly skilled immigration. In fact, during a campaign stop in Iowa in October, Sessions went as far as to suggest uh, getting rid of the so-called H-1B program altogether. I don't think the Republic would collapse if it was totally eliminated, he said. Immigration advocates like Narami worry about the wider swath of immigration of immigrants facing deportation under a Trump administration. President-elect said he would start by deporting 3 million criminals who are undocumented. Well, I mean, criminals? Okay. Uh, activists worry that Sessions' definition of a criminal may be overly broad. And here's... I, I'm not a fan of the immigration thing so much. I have a problem with that, but this is even bigger. A threat to privacy. When it comes to the Attorney General's role of limiting law enforcement and intelligence agency surveillance powers, privacy advocates say Sessions' appointment represents a nightmare scenario. The Senator has repeatedly worked to block NSA privacy reforms, sided with the FBI in its standoff with Apple over the iPhone encryption, and pushed legislation that would force technology companies to turn over private information to law enforcement. Robin Green, Policy Counsel at the New America's Foundation Open Technology Institute, oh, great, a source front group, 
So Sessions is the most dangerous choice for the role of enforcing legal limits on intelligence agencies like the NSA. Unless Congress picks up the mantle of an aggressive oversight of the intelligence community, we're looking at a situation that makes the Hoover era look like child's play, Green says. In his nearly two decades as a senator, Sessions has pushed for spying powers beyond even those supported by his Republican congressional colleagues and intelligence agents. He fought a reform of the FISA Act in 2012 and against the USA Freedom Act in 2015, placed new limits on the NSA spying powers after revelations of Edward Snowden, a law passed by a Republican House and a Senate that was even endorsed by Director Mike Rogers. When it comes to surveillance powers, he's more Catholic than the Pope, says privacy-focused Cato Institute fellow Julian Sanchez. He wants to grant more authorities with fewer limitations than even the law enforcement or intelligence communities are asking for. But Sessions' most privacy-invasive move as a senator may have been his attempt to add an amendment to the Email Privacy Act bill. A bill passed in the Republican-controlled House of Representatives in May designed to require a warrant for law enforcement to compel tech firms like Google and Microsoft to hand over Americans' stored communications. Sessions' amendment would create a loophole that would allow law enforcement to demand data without a warrant in an ill-defined emergency case. Never mind that companies already routinely hand over user data without being compelled in legitimate emergencies. Even James Terranium, a former homicide director, wrote an editorial that the emergency section measure is unwise and unsafe. A brave new world for law enforcement. Government surveillance has been particularly problematic for leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, whom the FBI and other law enforcement agencies have spied on in recent years, using everything from camera-equipped drones to social media surveillance to tools like Geofedia. Now, civil rights groups worry that Sessions, as the nation's most powerful law enforcer, the already strained relationship between communities of color and law enforcement is bound to get even worse. Sessions has been an outspoken opponent of bipartisan efforts to shrink the country's massive prison and jail system. He was one of only a handful of senators standing in the way of the Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act, which would, among other things, reduce mandatory minimum sentence, a measure that enjoyed support from Republican leaders like House Speaker Paul Ryan. Once again, Sessions made the case for security, arguing that reducing mandatory minimums for drug offense would release thousands of violent felons and endanger millions of Americans whose safety is increasingly threatened by rising crime rates. But Sessions' issues with communities of color do not start or end with his stance on criminal justice reform. In the 1980s, the senator was blocked from federal judgeship after a fellow attorney testified that Sessions had made racially insensitive remarks to him. I don't know how true this is. Another witness testified that Sessions had made remarks that were sympathetic to the Ku Klux Klan. In response to the question about Sessions' alleged racism, Trump spokesman Jason Miller said the senator is universally respected across party lines. Miller noted that as U.S. attorney, Sessions filed a desegregation lawsuit. As a senator, he supported Eric Holder's appointment to attorney general under President Obama and awarded Rosa Parks a congressional gold medal. But civil rights groups like the NAACP have little faith Sessions will continue criminal justice reform efforts undertaken by Holder and current Attorney General Loretta Lynch. At a time of great discord between Black Americans and law enforcement, the current Justice Department has opened investigations into the police shootings of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and the death of Freddie Gray in Baltimore after being injured in police custody. A Sessions-run Justice Department, driven by a credo of security above all else, may not have the same priorities.
It's too early to tell, of course, how much input Sessions would have into a Trump administration to dictate his policies. On a call about the nomination, Sean Spicer, the RNC's chief strategist and communications director, told reporters everybody who serves under Trump's administration will serve Donald Trump and Mike Pence, and they will implement that vision and their ideas and no one else's. Given how close Sessions and Trump have been throughout the last year, it seems those visions aren't too far apart. Yeah, if he gets in, basically, if your name isn't Sessions, you're in a lot of trouble. I just... Uh. Do I have a link to the David Brooks story? What? Um, I, I don't... I don't know. I'm, uh, yeah, I find it discouraging. Yeah. He, he's a man who exhibits professional hatred of anything that isn't him, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. If you're, not from, like... if you're not from his group, then, yeah, you're an enemy. I think that's <laughs> the way this man thinks. He, he sounds like is this sound this administration just, sounds just like the sort of person you want in charge yeah yeah uh this administration just from what I've been reading sounds like it's gonna be full of swamp things um, yeah. I'm kind of surprised Hillary wasn't offered a post <laughs> although you know there's still time for that I guess oh the the immigration thing did you see the Mexican video no ah I'm gonna drop it in chat. For people to watch later, um, a bunch of uh, Mexican filmmakers uh, <laughs> made a short film, and it's highly humorous. Uh, and just you know, from the earlier story, here, it's satire, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's really yeah. sad that you have to inform people. Okay, I uh, said so we were going to talk about Epic. Um, so this is kind of big. Epic sues the FBI over barometric database records. It's kind of a big deal. Okay. A major privacy group has filed a lawsuit against the FBI to force the Bureau to release all relevant documents about its plan to share a huge amount of biometric information with the Department of Defense. The lawsuit filed by Epic, the Electronic Privacy Information Center, concerns the FBI's next-generation identification system, which compromises fingerprint, iris scan, and facial recognition data, and the Bureau has been using it for several years. With NGI, the FBI will expand the number of uploaded photographs and provide investigators with automated facial recognition search capability. The FBI intends to do this by eliminating restrictions on the number of submitted photographs, including photographs that are not accompanied by 10 print fingerprints and allowing submission of non-facial photographs, e.g. scars or tattoos, the Epic lawsuit says. The FBI also widely disseminates their NGI data. According to the FBI's latest NGI fact sheet, 24,510 local, state, tribal, federal, and international partners have submitted queries to the NGI in September 2016. Privacy advocates, including Epic, have said the new database presents serious problems because of the high error rates seen with facial recognition symptoms and systems. Also, the collection and storage of that data is a significant risk for people whose information is in the database. The FBI recognized several risks associated with increased use of facial recognition technology in a privacy impact assessment. 
the FBI stated that increased collection and retention of personally identifiable information presents a correspondingly increased risk and that the FBI will then be maintaining more information that might potentially be subject to loss for unauthorized use, and that because photographs may now be submitted without accompanying 10 fingerprints, the accompanying photo may be associated with the wrong identity. Epic's lawsuit asks that the FBI be forced to release records about the plan to share NGI data with the Department of Defense under the Freedom of Information Act. Epic filed an FOIA request about the plan last year, and though the FBI said it has located 35 pages of records that are responsive to the request, it hasn't released any of those records. Earlier this year, the FBI asked the Department of Justice to exempt NGI data from the Privacy Act, keeping the information out of the reach of the general public. It provides fingerprint identification, criminal history services, as well as biometric services, such as latent fingerprint, palm print, and face recognition. In this rulemaking, the FBI proposes to exempt this Privacy Act system of records from certain provisions of the Privacy Act in order to prevent interference with the responsibilities of the FBI to detect, deter, and prosecute crimes and to protect national security. In its lawsuits filed November 10th, Epic says that the Department of Justice has failed to comply with the FOIA regulations and should be forced to release any documents related to the NGI data sharing. Which only makes sense. This one's going to go on for quite some time. Oh, yeah. Well, they'll drag it out until they get something... I don't want to say better. But they'll drag it out until they get something more sophisticated and then we'll find out what the old system did. And we'll all be running around like people with their heads on fire basically because it will be so bad just like everything involved with the government and your privacy is um that you know it, it's just going to be terrifying i mean that's kind of how these stories have gone right yeah you know you heard about a stingray it was nothing really much and then oh my god and then we found out they could capture text and they could listen to your phone calls while you're making them it's so much worse you know and we found out they were flying them in planes and they were hauling dirt boxes. It, it really, the technology itself is not so scary. It's what they plan to do with it that should alarm people. Um, I don't know. So, yeah. Uh, let's Okay, so this week, I don't know if anybody's ever seen those BLU phones on Amazon.com, but I'm going to tell you now, I highly recommend you don't buy one. There's a reason for that, and I'm going to tell you now. Second Chinese firm in a week found hiding backdoor in firmware of Android devices. Security researchers have discovered that third-party firmware included with over 2.8 million low-end Android smartphones allows trackers to compromise over-the-air update operations and execute commands on the target's phone with root privileges. Mobile experts from Anabus Networks discovered this problem this week. This is the second issue of its kind that came to light this week after researchers from CryptoWire discovered a similar secret backdoor in the firmware of Chinese Shanghai Adipus Technology Company Limited. This time around, the problem affected Android firmware created by another Chinese company named Ragnatech Group. Researchers say they've discovered the issue after one of their researchers bought a Blue Studio G smartphone from Best Buy. 
They say the smartphone used an insecure over-the-air update system powered by Ragnatech firmware, which connects remote servers via an unencrypted communications channel. Lack of SSL support means an attacker can carry out a basic man-in-the-middle attack and take responses from an OTA server, sending rogue commands to a user's smartphone. While there are numerous devices and apps that fail to secure client-server communications via HTTPS, cannabis researchers say the issue goes much deeper. Firmware OTA tries to disguise its presence. Binary responsible for the firmware OTA update operations also includes code that its presence from the Android OS, along with two other binaries in their processes. A developer looking at active Android processes won't be able to tell when there's an update coming to his phone. Because this OTA system comes pre-installed on various devices and is responsible for various self-update operations, it also runs as root. Without SSL protection, this OTA system in an open backdoor is an open backdoor for anyone looking to take control of it. Furthermore, the firmware also includes three hard-coded OTA server domains. Only one of those three domains was registered when Anabus researchers discovered the flaw tracked as CVE-2016-6564. Researchers registered the other two domains. This allowed the research team not only to send commands to all smartphones running Ragnatech firmware, but also to, to gather statistics about how many devices have this de facto backdoor. According to Anabus, multiple smartphone models from Blue products are the most affected. Blue was also the top smartphone vendor affected by the Adipus backdoor discovered by CryptonWire researcher. Other vendors included Infinity, Infinitix Mobile, Doogie, Ligaru, IQ Mobile, Beeline, and XOLO are also affected. The others category from the, from, there's a chart, uh, signifies other types of devices that the researchers weren't able to identify. This may be the same backdoor or another that talks to the same OTA service. Anibus said it worked with Google Blue and US CERT to notify all affected vendors. US CERT has also issued a public advisory on this matter. The advisory includes a list of smartphone models the status of, and the status of patching operations. Compared to the Adipus backdoor discovered earlier this week, the Ragnatech one didn't collect information on its users, and neither did it send this data to its servers in China. So I know you have a smartphone that you changed the firmware for, am I right? Yes. <laughs> and it's precisely because of shit like this. Yes. And it must be noted, the particular cell phone mentioned is still on sale. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they've uh, rewritten the base code, but who knows. <laughs> but yeah, I tend to, if I was going to buy a phone from Amazon, eBay, anywhere like that, that was Android based, I would make sure that it had been... That it came with something like cyanogen, uh, then I know that you're able to put your own firmware on it, because <laughs> yeah. that's what whoever's selling the phone's done. Yeah, Cause, exactly. You know, there, there are a couple of mainstream phones that use cyanogen, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's cyanogen has stuff in it for you to change the firmware. So right. yeah, although I know how to do it myself anyway. Well, I mean, there's a reason why it's important to learn about your technology. Yeah. Because it's it's quite obvious, looking at what your government's done, 
and whom my government is planning to put in positions of power, that they're not going to protect our privacy. That's down to us. You know, that really is. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, you know, when you're dealing with your data being sent to China, who the hell knows what they're doing with it? Oh, yeah, yeah, my, my, my phone's hilarious. Yeah, when I got it. The amount of Chinese government spyware that was on it. That's scary, isn't it? It's I funny. Mean, if because, <laughs> well, I knew I was going to be blanking it and putting more stuff on, but yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think they're getting a really good deal. Yeah. And they're getting great technology, you know? It probably works flawlessly. But, well, you know, I, I, was, I, was getting... at, uh, I was looking at smartphones earlier, actually. Um, there, there's one company now doing one that they, they've thought of the, the power consumption problems that modern phones have uh, their solution 6,000 milliamp hour battery in it holy shit oh yeah hope they don't <laughs> blew it down no 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 it's one of the decent makes well, it's actually so one of the funnily enough it's actually probably one of the largest mobile phone makers in the world just you haven't heard of it because it's Chinese. Um, <laughs> I forget the name um, offhand, but that's my oh. memory working the way it does. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 as powerful as Samsung Explodey phone, but it won't explode <laughs> um, <laughs> because instead of giving it a really small battery that isn't up to the task of power in the damn phone they've given it a really big battery <laughs> it's slightly thicker than a normal smartphone you know it's like a mil maybe two mils thicker but has that's twice not... the battery capacity of other phones but that's not really a problem no what's a problem is when smartphone makers put their phones on a diet and then glue the fucking battery in then you're fucked hey it's not just mobile phone companies Anyone out there who's still using an original iStick 50 watt? Yeah, you don't want to look inside that. <laughs> There's a lot of tape in there, that's all I'm going to say. Well, a lot of our first mods had tape in them. The ones we used to make ourselves, you know? Mine didn't. But, well, they did here. Um, especially when we first started messing with boards and stuff and chips, you know. Complex stuff we weren't used to dealing with at the time. So, yeah. Is there anything? Oh, I know. Okay. There, I'm going to read to you. And then I'm going to put a link in chat. And I'm going to tell you you have an opportunity to do something. <clears throat> Tell Congress to defend encryption. The FBI may have backed off its attempts to strong-arm Apple into building an app backdoor into the iPhone, but the fight over crypto is far from over. The Encrypt Act and the Secure Data Act are federal bills that will safeguard encryption and reject backdoors. Tell your representatives from your Congress critters in Congress to co-sponsor both of these vital bills. 
Certain outspoken members of the FBI and the Department of Justice and a few state legislators are attacking the encryption standards that undergird modern technology, trying to force companies to insert back doors and defeat their own security systems. These actions are reckless and could hurt the security of everyone. Thankfully, there are leaders in Congress working to stop these misguided actions with forward-thinking legislation. Help defend security by sending a letter to your member of Congress today. So I stuck a link there to its and take action with the EFF thing, tell Congress to defend encryption. Um, and it works just like a, a regular facade call to action would work um, where you put in your name and your zip code and it sends a letter to your member of Congress that you can edit completely. What probably works better, and I'm surprised they're not doing it, calling Congress. And I'm kind of surprised we don't talk about that because calls, some human being has to answer those calls. They get enough calls, you know, they will actually tell your Congress critter, look, this, this issue matters and you want to go back to work next year. So you might want to address it. So, um, yeah, but anyway. There, there you go. It's something you can do if you believe in encryption. And, you, and I you do. could refer them to the previous story as well, where <laughs> this is why back doors are a really, really bad idea. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Because if the government, if your government can get in, somebody else's government can get in, a private company can get in, and your neighbor can could in. potentially get in. Mm hmm. You know. There's, if you have yeah. that creepy neighbor who you see every time you come out the door, the reason he might be able to is he's hacked all your shit so he can see what you're doing inside your house. Well, <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't even really have to do that if you're one of those people who unfortunately has a fucking smart meter on their house. They could just hack into that. Yeah. That's all they need to hack. And those aren't super secure, and the worst part is... Hive's already had, I uh, think it's three security breaches. So mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, well, it's not just They're the most that. popular one. Uh, yeah. mm -hmm. Of course they have. And it's because they've got people in charge of these systems that are so complex, they have no idea what's going on in them. Yeah. And that's, a, that's, a, that's going to be a huge problem, I think, with the Internet of Things. You know, you've got people in charge who have no idea what the systems are built to do or what they can do or what can happen in a catastrophe. And they're unprepared to take action or change things enough to keep you secure. You know, scary shit. When everything in your house, and we've talked about this before, you have an IP address. If you have stuff hooked up to the Internet of Things, it has an IP address under your IP address, so it can be identified. Not really a cool thing. Yeah. So, if, yeah. If, if you do have lots of that internet shit in your house, <laughs> you really need to make sure you have a really, really, really top-of-the-range router yeah. that encrypts all the IP addresses on your network. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> They cost a lot of money, though, and they don't come free with your ISP provide, provider, you know, when you join up. Well, you know they're good at, oh, you've joined us. Here, have this box to be your router. Yeah. And you look at it and go, yeah, it's a piece of shit. 
Oh, we buy ours. We buy oh, ours. And, a... and incidentally, some of the first major worldwide hacks were down to cheap routers given away when people signed up for internet. Oh, shit, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. We buy our own routers because I, I looked at our bill when we got our first bill because we got, you know, basically the cheap router when we first moved in. I was like, we need to buy a router. Why? Because I'm not paying a $5 fucking fee every month for this piece of shit that doesn't work right. So we got the very best router we could, and I mean, it's top of the fucking line. And it it does what a router is supposed to do, not what the piece of shit that the cable company or your phone company got for as cheap as possible does. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lucky at the minute. I, I'm not, I, I used to use my own router. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the last couple of companies we've been with have actually given fairly decent routers. This is, of course, because we signed up to the higher quality internet. Right. So obviously they give you a better router. <laughs> Free. Yeah. Because yeah. well, the one I've got is the same one that it was basically it was designed for British Telecom. Oh, nice. It's Chinese, obviously. Because <laughs> <laughs> they all are, basically. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, but it's got decent security on it. The Wi-Fi's got decent security on it. I mean, <laughs> you know. that's a good thing. Um, yeah, but I will eventually probably get around to getting a better router due to my current internet activities. Uh, I need a, probably a more specialised router. Uh, yeah, you're definitely going to need a better one, you know, now that Theresa May has got her fucking hands on everything. And it's not like... It's not like anybody I know is doing anything illegal or, or dodgy or weird, but it's because these companies are just so fucking nuts. Anyway. Yeah. Don't share it. The thing that scared me about the TTP when I was reading it wasn't the shitty copyright terms, because those shitty copyright terms, we have those in America. We've had them yeah. in America forever. Um, but the fact that they wanted to have link control. You know, that's scary to me. There is no way they should have control over what you link and what you don't link. And there's no way they should be able to put companies out of business for you sharing a link. And yet that that's the kind of control that they wanted. And it tells me that A, governments don't understand technology, and B, they suffer from magical thinking. Um... Well, you know. the, the worst one for me was you had your government happily <laughs> telling other, other governments uh, this is one of the things that fell down with our negotiations in the EU right. that your local laws don't matter to our corporations. Uh, if you do <laughs> anything our corporations don't like, they will be able to sue you for it. Yeah, which was It's like, shit. what? Yeah, and it was your politicians pushing this. You're like, yeah. you're basically telling everyone that you're the corporation sovereign. should basically yeah. be in charge. That's exactly it. And I hate to say it, I think you see... Everyone should be forced to play games of Shadowrun. <laughs> People who have will know what I mean. Um... <laughs> You want to see something terrifying? Um, Watch Dogs? Watch Dogs, the game? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I've seen that. That's yes. kind of 
that's kind of some fucked up shit. But if you want to run something that's fun but terrifying, um, there's something called Watch Dogs Digital Shadow. I don't know if it still works, but it used to. Um, and they released it as sort of a, a publicity for the game. And yeah. what it did, you gave it access to any one of your social networks, Twitter or Google or Facebook or or whatever. And it was an app. You could delete it and get rid of all the history. And it would find you. It would show when you were online where your ISP was. I mean, it only showed it to you, but it was the amount of stuff it could gather from. Because my online identity is... I don't want to say it's different, but somebody who follows me on Facebook might not follow me on Twitter, right? Or somebody who follows me on Twitter might not follow me on Google+, but it was able to identify me accurately across all of those things, so I'm obviously doing things I don't even recognize. Oh, well, things like that can find me, but they tend to get a bit confused. I will fall back on a, a Facebook uh, description. A lot of these pieces of software basically end up um, listing me as it's complicated because <laughs> <laughs> I am in so many places that literally most of these programs have a kind of fit trying to do all the tracing necessary yeah. uh, and then when they've done all the tracing necessary there's very little information at all these places for them to look at because I keep find... deleting it. <laughs> well, they couldn't find a lot on me. And what they could find, I got rid of anything that was personally identifiable. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the way I run it, the way I run, basically, mm -hmm. um, right. the, the, the all these sort of things have the problem like the NSA have with their bulk data collection. There's too much <laughs> so yeah. they can't because I have conflicting information on all the different places so is, it really makes it hard for them to pin anything down I mean my birth I have about 30 different birthdays <laughs> I don't have my birth location anywhere and most places where I live is usually a cave somewhere near Sterling <laughs> my IP address changes randomly at times um, <laughs> etc yeah the list goes on but it means any of these pieces of tracking software tend to get a bit confused yeah well I don't think tracking software likes me much at all um, but anything that it found that was a pattern I tried to break yeah. just simply because I don't like to be reliable but I am well, the the ones the, the big ones are it goes around every few months. It's about due again now. Um but people go on about looking at their Google cache and their Facebook cache and going, Oh my god, it knows all this stuff about all this things I've been doing. And well, every time it comes around I tend to link people to mine. Or the Facebook <laughs> one certainly. And it comes up and there's nothing in it. <laughs> well, Mine is really funny because I can remember a few months ago when everybody was like, oh my god, look what it says about you politically. Yeah. You do know what my political philosophy is, right? Yeah. 
burn it down, <laughs> go away, is basically my political philosophy. Um, yeah, I, I went to that one, and do you know, uh, it came back. It it, it 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 settled on. It's complicated. <laughs> it can figure mine, out. Mine didn't. Do you know what mine said about me? No. That that I was politically reasonable. What <laughs> the fuck does that mean? I want it all to go away. And I seem politically reasonable to you? Okay. I was like, okay, that's time to dump all this shit. Which I did, which I thought was fun. But, yeah, I mean, it, Facebook exists and you are the product. Yes. That's all it is. Yes, it, it provides a place for you to, you know, show pictures to your family and friends and and catch up on what everybody's doing and everybody's in one place although it's not really one place there's a bunch of places um it exists for that purpose and if you remember that it exists for you to keep in touch with your friends or to share news or, or whatever but not share so much about you then you'll probably be okay there if you're the kind of person that overshares everything you're going to have a really rough time in life oh yeah because if you're privacy minded you're not going to be able to stay i don't want to say hidden but there's patterns in the data um a lot of i i, I enjoy keeping my patterns in the data random some people are very they do this this time all the time and at this point in the day they checked into starbucks why people ever got that app that checks them into places boggles my mind. Well, websites but, do it now as well. Do you want to check in where you are? No. Uh, no. <laughs> no, thank you. I came here to have a look at... News sites do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, yep. the British Times. Yeah, they, they all go, do you want to say that you've been here? No. <laughs> I came here to read this one story that I found linked somewhere else, and that's it. Yeah. 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 But that—that's them. They're doing that. That's part of the the whole advertising revenue thing. So. Yeah. yeah. I think. Um, and I saw an article today. Was it Ars Technica? I have to check it out. I really want to run through it and fact check it but it's all about um and it, it's a relatively new story so i don't really want to share much about it but it's kind of like how your data has become the new currency yes so i think that that's going to be really interesting and i think i want to talk about that a little bit next week um i don't know is there anything else to say this week do you think mary I uh, don't think so. We've, okay. We covered some horrific stuff. For... <laughs> yeah, and we didn't even really talk politics this week too much. We talked no. political appointments, but not so much politics. No. So There's no need. Yeah. The political appointments are scary enough without talking about the politics <laughs> underlying. Uh, it's, um, it's divide and conquer, people. Remember, that's kind of the thing they like, I guess. But if you own shares in Breibart, you're probably going to be doing quite well. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
any place that wants your location. And I think most people are politically known. There's no, there's no good or bad in politics. It's just this thing. It's like the Death Star. <laughs> it just is. Okay. Well, on that cheerful note, <laughs> <laughs> um, Muppets and Advert? Muppets and Advert. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices fast. Amoseek.com. Oh, good night, guys. And there's your link. <laughs> Have a good night. We'll see you next week. Hey, stop scratching at that.